get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, hosted by 4th District. Justin, uh, we're, uh, uh, you hanging in there, brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't complain. I do want to give a uh, happy belated Veterans Day to all the courageous men and women who have served in our armed forces. I think we didn't get to do that uh, earlier. We kind of missed it, but I want to make sure that we get that in. Uh, you know, I had a grandfather who was a Navy vet and who fought in the Korean War, and I saw the toll that it can take on people and the huge sacrifice that these folks are making. So I want to make sure that we show our appreciation. Uh, I think, you know, the U.S. needs to start prioritizing any problems that there are with the VA. We need to treat our veterans right, and that needs to be a priority. So happy belated Veterans Day to all those who may be listening who have served in the armed forces. Absolutely. That's a good, good shout out. Uh, Justin, I feel like, uh, you know, this is one of those weeks that uh, really shows to me, you know, why we started this this podcast, sort of the intersection of uh, faith and politics of uh, the public witness of the church has been sort of center stage uh, this week, and it hasn't all been uh, pretty. Actually, much of it has has been uh, ha- has not has not been pleasant at all. So let's let's just jump in uh, with Alabama and Roy Moore, um, just for a a bit of context. It's important. Uh, Roy Moore is not someone who's new to the scene. Uh, He is someone who has uh, stoked controversy throughout his career. Uh, He became famous by uh, sort of rejecting uh, uh, orders for him to take down the the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, And he, he sort of built an entire reputation around sort of the idea that the Ten Commandments should be posted on public property, including in in courthouses, uh, uh, and so uh, then he ran for uh, Senate in Alabama, and defeating the Republican establishment, he defeats Luther Strange, who's currently serving uh, uh, in Jeff Sessions' seat. He was appointed by uh, he was appointed to fill out Jeff Sessions' term. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Jeff Sessions' term, but until a special election could be held. Uh, during that campaign, he uh, repeated some of his previous assertions that uh, that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to uh, serve in public office, uh, that um, uh, 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 it, uh, some inflammatory remarks about LGBT folks. Um, and so this all led up to this past week when uh, a woman came forward uh, in in a pretty significant, uh, extensive report from the Washington Post, a woman came forward, Beverly Young Nelson, came forward to say that Moore initiated a, a this is a quote Moore initiated a sexual encounter with her when she was fourteen years old and he was thirty two. 
So Roy Moore is uh, the Republican nominee for the uh, U.S. Senate in Alabama. He he got that role after winning a very contested primary uh, in the state. Um, he, he is someone with a long history in Alabama, a long history in some ways in national politics. He made his name around controversies about uh, uh, posting the Ten Commandments on public property. Uh, and so all of this led up to uh, uh, a report last week um, from the Washington Post uh, that suggested uh, that Lee Korfman, when she was 14 years old, was approached by Roy Moore uh, outside of a courtroom uh, where her mother was uh, involved in a custody hearing. So 14-year-old Lee Korfman outside of a courtroom where her mother is currently there for a custody battle, uh, Moore, quote, struck up a conversation and offered to watch the girl while her mother went inside for a child custody hearing um, and then proceeded to uh, to court uh, this 14-year-old girl. Uh, days after meeting her, he, quote, picked her up around the corner from her house in Gadsden, Alabama, drove her about 30 minutes to his home in the woods, told her how pretty she was, and kissed her. On a second visit, she says, he took off her shirt and pants and removed his clothes. He touched her over her bra and underpants and guided her hand to touch him over his underwear. Uh, that's... Um, that is the report in the Washington Post, and it's 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 disturbing, but it's important to to read it. And then just today, um, uh, another uh, another woman came forward uh, accusing uh, Roy Moore of sexually assaulting her and bruising her neck in the late 1970s when she was 16 years old. Uh, these uh, accusations that, if you read the Washington Post report, um, Again, they're disturbing. They're in depth. Um, uh, they've set the, the the you know reasonably they they've set uh, uh, political conversation on fire, cultural conversation on fire, uh, and you know it's important to note this operates on on several tracks. Right, we have a cultural crisis. Um, we have potential crimes that were committed by Roy Moore. But this all happens in, in an environment where uh, he's supposed to be running. Uh, th there's an election that's going to take place in a month. And so, Justin, um, with with that sort of there's a lot to dig through here. And we're going to spend a, a good amount of time talking through this. Um, but just before we get to sort of the the, the church angle, uh, just how, how, how are you thinking about how are you processing these these latest uh this latest development in this race and, and these these accusations that seem uh, quite substantial. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant and maybe it's my legal background. I'm hesitant when it comes to accusations. But in this particular case. Right. So I don't just always take accusations and run with them. I think we should be cautious about that. But in this particular case, uh, Brother Weir, when you look at. Roy Moore's response, when you look at the evidence and the ladies who have come forward and the details uh, that they've provided, um, you see that, what, number one, his response was just insufficient. And so this is an awful right. uh, situation that uh, he's found himself in. Uh, he's violated the trust of a lot of people. 
Uh, and it reminds me, I, I think of, it was, it's Mark, uh, chapter seven, verse six, which says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, Roy Moore was on the Alabama Supreme Court, uh, talking about the, you know, the, 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 um, 10 commandments and all that stuff. He was the founder and president of the foundation of moral law. This is a Christian advocacy yeah. group uh, set up to uh, defend our inalienable right to acknowledge God. They say that we don't run from our values. We protect them. Um, what can you say? Uh, someone who's not living by the values that he's professing. Uh, someone that it seems like it's all talking. I'll tell you, as, as Christians, we don't we don't really need any more show horses. Um, mm. We don't need people who are just talking. We need representatives who are humble and trustworthy. And, you know, yeah. some of the responses that you see uh, from people defending him, uh, the things that he's done, if there is any honor left, uh, I think the best thing for him to do would be to step down, would be to say, you know what? Yeah. Um, there's some things I need to take care of with my family or whatever he may say. But if there's any, you know, principle left, I think that would be the right course to take because this is a terrible situation politically, but I think even worse from a moral and a faith standpoint, it yes. is absolutely yes. uh, horrendous. And, you know, I applaud uh, many of the Republicans who came out and said, no, he needs to step down. I don't know if you know it or not, but the Republican, the national Republican Senate committee chair, who was Cory Gardner, uh, came out and said that Roy Moore is unfit to serve in the United States Senate. And he said that if he refuses to yeah. withdraw and he wins that seat, that the, that the Senate should vote to expel him. And I think that's the correct response. Yep. Yeah. I think, on, I think, uh, less than 20, uh, senders have ever, uh, have been expelled in Senate history. So it, it's a, it's a pretty, Strong statement from Corey Gardner. Uh, it, we also saw Mitch McConnell came, come out and say something similarly strong. We also saw today uh, Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona wrote an op-ed saying, uh, just to be clear, if the choice is between Roy Moore and a Democrat, I'd be running to the polls to vote for the Democrat. The problem, of course, is that uh, Alabama state law doesn't allow uh, uh him to be removed from the ballot. And so uh, right now, Republicans are discussing whether a write-in campaign is possible, uh, either a write-in campaign where they push for Luther Strange, who again is is filling in uh, in session seat, or uh, uh, Senator Shelby from uh, from Alabama, the, the senior senator in the state, has suggested that Jeff Sessions should be returned to the Senate uh, that he should run a writing campaign because he has the the notoriety and the name recognition. Uh, and so this is very much, this is developing politically. Um, I should also note that Doug Jones, uh, who is the Democrats candidate, uh, uh, is uh, running neck and neck in the polls. Um, uh, he, he was, uh, one poll came out showing him four points ahead of Roy Moore. And so even without sort of uh, Republicans uh, try, trying to save this seat uh, through sort of extraneous means of, of putting someone else up, uh, Doug Jones might be able to <laughs> might be able to win this sort of on his own 
merit. And so, you know, the the one thing I've just been thinking is um, without these allegations, Roy Moore does not belong in the Senate still. <laughs> like without That's these right. allegations, Roy Moore would still be someone who uh, made it quite explicitly clear that he had no interest in representing all Alabamans. Uh, Roy Moore is someone who made it quite clear that he was willing to use the language of Christianity for the purpose of moral coercion uh, and as sort of uh, a, a bludgeon on, on, on people. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, part of this is just like, um, I want to make sure, particularly for the younger Christians, as all this stuff comes out, um, it's, th this is, this is sad. Um, we're seeing some of these polls coming out and, and, you know, it's very, I, I'd urge caution on folks reading too closely in the polls that are coming out just days after this, this news, uh, broke, like things, the dust needs to settle, but I'm disturbed by reports that, uh, there's a percentage of a Alabama voters and Alabama Christians that are more likely to vote for Roy Moore after this news came out. And we could talk about why that is. But but my my caution for for young Christians is, um, what we're seeing now is uh, the fruit of some bad theology, some bad political theology, that is that is you know ripening and falling off the vine now. Um, it's important not to get too bogged down in all of this, as if um, this is what's happening. Like Roy Moore. Robert Jeffress, Jerry Falwell, they're running on fumes. Like their time is coming to an end. And I want to make sure young Christians in particular, but really all of us don't spend so much time obsessing over and pretending like these guys are representative of the church when really what they're representative of is the fruit of some of the worst of sort of the calcified politics first religious right activism of the 80s and 90s. I agree. And you made an excellent point not to just harp on this particular situation or what some of the, you know, far right Christians are saying all the time. That is not the whole of Christianity. I think some people want it make want to make it seem like it's the whole of Christianity because it's an easy punching bag. But at the same time, I think we all and I don't have much in common. I don't believe with Roy Moore, but I think we all as Christians can take this as a moment of humility uh, to find some humility in this. Uh, because one of the things that was said, as you know, there were 50 or so pastors that uh, signed a letter ur urging Alabama voters to vo vote for Roy Moore um, because he had immovable biblical principles and he had suffered oppression for opposing gay marriage. Well, you know why you don't have any credibility on that issue It's because people make state statements like that and they hide behind yeah. statements like that when they've done something awfully wrong. And so I'd like to apologize by anybody that's been hurt by his stances on those things when he, it was not coming from the right place. Uh, and as Christians, yeah. we should be able to have the humility to say, I get why some people are, are upset. I get why some people aren't believing what we have to say. Uh, but brother, we're, you've been particularly, um, articulate on this matter. You had a tweet that went out a couple of days ago that said this. I thought it was a right to the point. It said, these men who use the name of Christ in vain to protect their power will one day reach the end of their power and answer for their deceit. Uh, that is a wonderful way to put it. Because what we're seeing right now for some evangelicals, not everybody, but some evangelicals is 
they have to learn how to take an L with integrity rather than winning yeah. without any. Right. Sometimes yeah. you just have to take an L. Uh, NPR did a poll recently and they asked whether or not an elected official who commits immoral acts, uh, whether they can still behave ethically as an elected official. In 2011, only 30 percent of evangelicals said that they could. In 2016, 70 yeah. percent said that they could. Now, isn't that mm -hmm. convenient? Right. We can't go with what's convenient. Either we have principles or we don't have principles. And I've said this over and over again, and I'm going to say it until it sticks. As long as Christians walk into politics and the number one thing we want to do is win, we will never be known for our principles in that in that space. Right. We have to our the number one thing we have to be willing to do is put an authentic witness, biblical witness into the public square. And sometimes that means we're going to lose. Sometimes that means the person who we want to support, the person who we thought represented our values really doesn't. And we're in a situation where we have to take an L. And until we're ready, ready to take that political L, then we're not ready to disciple in the public square. We're not ready to be a reflection of Jesus Christ in the public square. And over and over again, we've shown we're not willing to do that. Either you feel you already have the victory or you don't have the victory and you need uh, these political victories to make you feel like God is on your side. Mm. No, sometimes yeah. he's on hey, your man. side when you're hey, taking man. the loss. And until we realize that yes. we're going to be in a very, very bad situation, when will we step up and make sure we're not hiding behind others and hiding behind these issues that get Christians riled up and just taking it on the chin and saying we were wrong and we're just going to have to lose this one. Right. I mean, it's just how, how much, are are we willing to excuse <laughs> on behalf of politics? <laughs> How much are we willing to sacrifice for short short term political victories? Um, and, and we we need to uh, these questions need to be made explicit in the church and Christian conversations because uh, what happens when they're not made explicit when uh, questions of faithfulness are just sort of assumed uh, instead of instead of elaborated upon and, and made explicit is uh, it allows for uh, all kinds of behavior to just sort of fester and all kinds of perspectives to just kind of fester and sort of take on uh, th this pseudo spiritual stance. And we, we just can't allow for that. So uh, a, a political advertisement went out uh, this this weekend uh, following the, the the accusations and the reports that had a photo of Roy Moore and some other Republicans with with the it was a fundraising appeal for Roy Moore. Uh, uh, and, and it uh, the, the sort of the banner on top said spiritual warfare <laughs> that that uh, that that you you that it, in recognition that this is a uh, spiritual warfare, which you know we could. I think there are definitely elements of this which which are, but not in the way that they meant it. Uh, but the uh, sort of this uh, pseudo spiritualizing of Roy Moore's candidacy for for the Alabama Senate, uh, and this idea that if if he lost the political seat, it would be a spiritual. It would be a, a loss in the spiritual realm for the kingdom. And we, we just got to uh, 
Well, we just got to make clear that that's not okay, that you can't use Christian language uh, and you can't use uh, the reality of the kingdom to sort of uh, self-promote and self-aggrandize. Like that that just has to be off That's right. But in fact, honestly, I would rather someone come out and honestly say they were an atheist. And I would support that person before I would support someone who used the word of God and used the, the, the Lord's name in vain to gain power in a political position. That has Christians to take yeah. so much offense to that anyone would even think about yes. doing that. But one of the things that we fall into, and I've fallen into it myself, is will we hold our friends accountable? So many times when we know someone and we care about someone, we make excuses for them, we cover for them, uh, do whatever we have to do so they don't feel pain, while at the same time, they could be getting away with all type of things that we just don't want to correct. We have to correct those who are supposedly leading us. We have to correct those who are close to us or we're not upholding the gospel. We're not upholding the standards that we say we are living by. We're going to go into a break right now, but I want to challenge everybody on a few things. Number one, pray for the women who uh, who are who got caught up in this situation. Uh, Pray for them and for healing in their lives. But I also want you to pray for Roy Moore. I want you to pray for his wife for his family, for all the people that are caught up in this, because even though some people may not admit it publicly, this is breaking down a lot of families, a lot of relationships, and all those people need prayer. We'll be back in a second. All right. This is the Church Politics Podcast uh, back at you and uh, wanted to discuss the uh, last week's election, Justin. Uh, It was the first positive night for Democrats, uh, election night for Democrats in a Long time, big wins in <laughs> big wins in Virginia. Uh, Attorney General, uh, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor Ralph Northam did beat Ed Gillespie, as we discussed. Uh, he, he might do last week. Uh, they made big pickups in the state legislature. Uh, they won in New Jersey. The only real Republican victory was in a special election uh, in Utah's third district for Congress. Uh, but overall, it was uh, it was a a pretty uh, uh, powerful night for Democrats. Uh, I'm not sure, Justin, how much to extract from what happened, uh, uh, primarily because uh, Hillary Clinton won Virginia by five points in uh, in 2016, and so it would have been a major problem if. Uh, if Democrats took a step back and lost statewide elections in Virginia. Um, and so I, I don't want to overstate the value of this. What we did see, though, was uh, the, the the Trump effect is real. Trump is motivating Democratic-based voters uh, at, at, a, at high levels. Uh, turnout in some counties in Virginia uh, ex, uh, were a reflective of sort of presidential election turnout, some even higher than that. Uh, and for an off-year election, it was pretty impressive. So, uh, so, so, Justin, what, what was what are some of your takeaways from from how the election shook out last Tuesday, and what do you think it suggests for for the midterms and uh, and maybe even for twenty twenty? So at this point, uh, Dems have to take every W they can get. Uh, and accentuate all the positives that come along with a night like they had last Tuesday night. This was a good night, no matter how you cut it. It was a good night for Democrats, and they should be happy because they needed 
<laughs> they needed that. You know, in situations like this, you want to make sure that when you get W's that you uh, you let everybody know about it and you talk about it as much as possible because it keeps the people um, motivated. You don't want folks to feel like uh, that you're going to keep losing or that there's no hope and all this other stuff. So this win is important really just to keep everyone riled up, uh, to keep everyone focused and positive about what can happen in the midterm. So in that regard, it is a big win and it should be celebrated. It should uh, be something that they really talk about as often as possible. Um, with that said, though, as you pointed out, the majority of places that that they won uh, last Tuesday were places that Clinton had already won. Yes, people were motivated uh, to go out, but they were motivated to go out when Trump won the presidency. I mean, there's a, these are the same people that went out before. <laughs> right. Um, and, 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 you know, so it's going to be important for them to win in places where she lost, not just in places where she won. Uh, I think Clinton won 15 out of the 16 districts in Virginia that Democrats won. Right. Uh, the other one, you know, they they yeah. barely lost. She barely lost by like 49 percent, something like that. Keep in mind when you're talking about New Jersey and uh, Virginia, these are two places that both of their senators are Democrats. Uh, in Virginia, I think three out yeah. of the last 10 governors have been Democrats. So it's it's not a place where they were expected to lose. At best, there were places where there was neutral ground, but a lot of those places were uh, Democrat leaning. Nevertheless, it was a win and you didn't take a step back. It gives you an opportunity maybe to show some momentum, raise some money. We talked about earlier how the Democrats have been having a hard time raising money. And hopefully Perez can jump on this and say, look, you know, we are doing better. We're, you know, we're on the rise. We've hit, we've hit the bottom and we're only way to go is up. Maybe that's something that happens. Right. I can't take too much from it for the midterms because you. I think we're going to have to see how this tax plan rolls out. Uh, what the Democrat response yeah. to it is, and and can they come up with a message, something that sticks, something that actually enlarges uh, their tent and enlarges the pool that they're dealing with, rather than making it uh, shrink. Yeah, I, I I think that's those are all good comments. I, I will say, th there were a couple warning signs for me in this for Democrats, um, and one of them is to look at the Erie County. Uh, uh, county executive race in Pennsylvania. Uh, Kathy Dahlkemper is long time. She was a, a, a congresswoman, uh, a Democratic congresswoman. Uh, she was running for re-election as Erie County executive in a county where Democrats are outregister. Democrats outregister Republicans by something like thirty thousand. Uh, she won. Uh, uh, she won her last election by thousands of votes, I think with 57% of the vote. And she just scraped by with, uh, by a few hundred votes in this election. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a Rust Belt uh, area. Kathy is a pro-life Democrat uh, running with a D attached to her name that is sort of, uh, has come to mean more and more, uh, that, that pro-life folks are excluded. Um, and and uh, th there's a real warning sign there in the Rust Belt. So Virginia is, uh, uh, you know, has big metropolitan areas. Virginia has been trending uh, blue, but it's those Rust Belt areas where Trump so, uh, where Trump really won the presidential election uh, that Democrats really need to be looking at what happened in Erie County, what happened in some of these Rust Belt uh, counties, 
where even if they were able to eke out victories, they weren't uh, as much as they have been in the past. And and ask questions about whether there are ways to make up voters in the Rust Belt without losing them uh, in uh, in in different geographic areas. That's right. Trump is handing the Democrats a perfect opportunity. And the question is whether they are ready to take uh, advantage of it. One of the problems that I believe we're seeing is that the Democrats haven't decided what the soul, whether the soul of the party is. Is it with the establishment? Is it with progressives? Or can they see eye to eye and find common ground to find a message together? If they can do that, the opportunity is there. It's it's all there for them to take advantage of. Can they make that happen? Can they find a message that either includes one side or leans to one side and the other follows behind? We've yet to see that. I'll tell you one thing that will prevent the Democrats from taking advantage of this type of opportunity. And it's something that's going on right here in Georgia as we speak. Uh, There is a dentist named who is a Christian. He's a Christian Democrat out here in Atlanta, Georgia. His name is Jaha Howard, Dr. Jaha Howard, who is running for the state Senate in the sixth district of Georgia. And he is a biblical Christian. He stated his convictions uh, very proud, very um, uh, uh, clearly rather. And he got attacked from the left. He got attacked from progressive groups. They really tried to take him down. Many in his own party tried to take him down so he couldn't win this uh, election. And he ended up making the runoff anyway. Again, his name is Jaha Howard. You should go look him up. But he, they have put him through the ringer. It's been very hard on him. He's a tough guy. He's toughing it out. And I think he has a good chance to win the runoff. But no favors have been done to him for his party. He's gotten beat up for his views. And if that's the party that the Democrats want to be, they're going to be in trouble for a long time. Yeah, it raises some really significant questions about the types of candidates that are even and really the the kinds of uh the kinds of people, the kinds of backgrounds that are even allowed a shot uh in, in the party and you know that is at tension with a party that is increasingly portraying itself as the party of inclusion of diversity well you know if if you're going to be uh, propping up some other candidate against uh against someone like Jaha who's from the district uh who uh represents the constituency he's running in and you're going to prop up someone someone else based on uh based on his his differing views uh on some issues it just raises some really significant questions. It raises questions about the role of the party. Should the party really be stacking the deck against its own candidates like that? And well, I know that we'll be paying yeah, we, attention to that race and other similar situations. Yeah, we've got to take a, a, a real serious look at that. And this wasn't the party uh, formally or officially, but everyone knows behind the scenes who's kind of pulling the strings. And it was something that just has been completely unfair to a candidate who really had the most name recognition on the Democrat side of the the conversation to someone who is a centrist who we need in the party. They've made it very clear that at least for some of these folks don't want that type of Democrat in the party. And I hope they're not speaking for the majority of Democrats. I don't think that they are. We're going to take another break and we're going to end this. But I would urge you to go look at Dr. Jaha Howard, uh, some of the stances he's taken and uh, even think about supporting him. 
All right, we're back on crucifix and politics, and we're about to end this discussion real quickly. We appreciate you all listening in to us. I just want to talk about an article that I saw in the New York Times a couple days ago that just completely frustrated me, and <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, but I'll let you guys be the judge. The name of the article, it was written by a law professor, but the name of the article was, Can My Children Be Friends with White People? This was written by a black uh, man, and he comes to the conclusion that actually his children may not be able to be friends with white people, mostly because of his disappointment with the uh, white community voting for Donald Trump. And that just bred, uh, bred, I think, a lot of distrust. And I completely understand the um, even the anger, uh, the disappointment with watching people who you thought who thought who you thought cared about you and who, who you thought may have been sensible vote for someone who did everything wrong who tried to exclude so many people, who talked down to so many people. I can completely understand someone being frustrated, even angry for a moment about that, because I can relate to that to some extent. But the idea that we would teach our children not to be friends with a whole demographic of people based on a vote, because number one, you know, to, to reduce this down to the idea that somehow all white people were monolithic on this vote, First of all, a lot of people didn't vote for him. Secondly, some people voted for him for different reasons, but I'm still not going to tell my child uh, not to be friends with a whole demographic of people. And here, here's a quote. He said, I will teach my boys to have profound doubts that friendship with white people is possible. I'm almost disappointed that this was um, even put into an article of a respectable uh, uh, institution like the New York Times. But what, what are your thoughts, uh, Brother Weir? I mean, Justin, it, it was a it was a disheartening, it was a disheartening article, and, and I think uh, you know I similarly you know understand the 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 sort of motivation behind it, um, but this is the kind of weaponization of uh, and, and sort of totalizing approach to politics that. We've talked about on this show before. Certainly, political decisions are moral. Certainly, they have consequences. Um, but to cut off social relations from uh, from an individual because of their vote um, that that that's a really difficult that's a really difficult thing. And while there may be sort of individual circumstances that justify it. Uh, it's that extrapolation uh, that that is troubling, and then, as you said, Justin, uh, you know, it's 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 important to keep in mind that uh, you know we're talking about you know forty percent, forty three percent of white Americans voted voted for Hillary Clinton. So so you know you have a room of you have a room of ten white folks, and four of them, <laughs> you know, four of them voted for Hillary Clinton, um, and so it. You, you know, I, I almost don't want to slip to that way of uh, that way of talking because that seems to suggest, well, four out of ten are OK people. Uh, that, that's not what I mean to suggest at all. But even going by sort of his 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 metrics, like the way that he wrote, it sort of uh, no pun intended, just sort of whitewashed a, a whole uh, whole demographic. And I, and I don't. Um, oh, go ahead. And, I'm and, sorry. No, no, I was just I was just going to say, you know, this. Uh, 
sort of to inject for someone to write that in injects a level of suspicion and uh, uh, paranoia that is um, it's unhealthy for social cohesion. It's unhealthy just for uh, for specific relationships. It's just a very very problematic thing. And I, I was I was uh, relieved to see sort of broad pushback against against that that notion on, on my social media feeds and folks I've talked yeah, to. One of the things I, I learned and one of my mentors told me early on when getting into politics was that you have to have emotional maturity. That there's going to be a lot of things that happen that you want to react to and you want to react to in a very vitriolic way. But you have to wait it out sometimes and you have to sometimes go to sleep, wake up and, and make sure that you're being sensible because you can't be pushed into these situations where you're saying something that's purely emotional. Now, emotion is not wrong. Passion is not wrong. I want people to be emotional and passionate. I'm someone who got chased home by skinheads when I was when I was probably in the fourth grade. Uh, so I don't take racism lightly. I don't take bullying or any of those things lightly. Uh, but to say something that that basically to the point that you would teach your kids that they m probably can't be friends with someone of another race is ridiculous. It's backwards. And I said this on Twitter and I'll say it again. It is a very cynical ideology and pessimistic ideology that too many Christian brothers and sisters are flirting with. It is dangerous. It's mm. unacceptable. And it has nothing to do with the gospel, anything close to the gospel. This brother is probably very gifted. Yeah. Uh, he's a good writer. But that sentiment is wrong. Uh, and, and I want to make clear that there is nothing acceptable about saying that you would not be friends or telling your kids you would not be friends with a certain demographic over a vote. I will tell I have two sons. I will tell them to be cautious about certain things. I will teach them about this country's history, the good things and the bad things. But I want them to be Christians yeah. overall. And that means that they are willing to have friendships with all sorts of people of all races, of all beliefs. Um, I'll tell you this. One of the, the best friends I had in high school was an atheist. Uh, I, I'd like to reach out to him and see if he's still there and have an opportunity to disciple to him. But I would never tell my kids they couldn't be friends with someone because to me, that's also saying that you can't disciple them. Uh, so I just wanna, I, I wanted right. to point this article out, not to beat up on this guy. But to make sure that we're clear right. that there was nothing in that article uh, that we can accept as Christians uh, is completely unacceptable. Yeah. And just not I think I think that really sums it up. But if I could just add um, to. Uh, if if he is right, if that is right. Um, that then there there really is no path forward for 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 building building a country together. That like that there is no that uh, that that is the same message that uh that that would be shared by some of the folks that were in Charlottesville. <laughs> like <laughs> like in other words, it you know like like that is the that that is the exact message that. Well, that white supremacists want to send that 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 uh, that you can't trust people uh, of of different racial background that they uh, aren't aren't worthy of your friendship uh, and, and and if that's right then any talk of uh, 
pluralism, any talk of sort of joint political projects, any talk of just uh, 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 desegregated communities. Uh, I, I don't know from what social premise you could base that on if if you're also saying, but y'all can't really trust one another. <laughs> that 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 there's there's always going to be an antagonism right. and, there. And, uh, and maybe in so, worst case scenario, this was someone who knew better and maybe whose life and profile shows that he knows better, but was trying to feed the monster. You know, was trying to feed a sentiment mm -hmm. that is kind of becoming the, the, the spirit of the day. And not only can Christians not buy into this, but Christians must loudly and clearly fight against it. Right. We we can't just be silent and say that's wrong. We need to make it clear for those who may not know better, who may not have anything else uh, or a foundation to draw from, that this is not the way to make things better. It's defeatist. We are not going to give up and we can make things better. But there has to be some level of of effort towards reconciliation. And that's not it. Yeah, I agree, man. Well, it's uh, I, I think I think that's that's a wrap. It's been, you know, in some ways uh, a, a tough a tough week given everything that's been in the news uh, and, and just some disappointments with how people have acted. But you know, just I just have to say that um, for, for for me, there have been some real rays of hope in, in this week. I've seen. Uh, people, politicians, pastors, uh, lay folks, uh, both in public settings and in private, uh, uh, provide expressions of faithfulness that, to me, uh, suggest the future is bright, that we're going through some difficult stuff now, but that this really is God tilling the ground for something new, uh, for, for flourishing. Uh, and so uh, I want folks to be encouraged with everything that's happening in the news it can be hard to sort of sift through and see through uh, uh that darkness to to light but i want to encourage folks to pay special attention uh to to, to the light in the week ahead because it's it's there it's vibrant god is moving the church is moving uh and, and there are there are reasons to be uh, absolutely to be and i'll tell you something that really encourages me is when I look around at some of my peers uh, in faith and see how much talent there is out there and how much commitment and faithfulness and fidelity to scripture that there is out there. We have some rising young leaders around us. And I know Brother Weir knows a lot of them that are doing an outstanding job of being a reflection of Christ um, from, you know, my brothers who I work with in the and campaign, Amisho, Baraka, uh, um, Angel Maldonado. I mean, you have guys like Alan Noble. Yeah. You know, it, there's so many people. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, uh, D.A. Horton. Follow these yeah. people. Listen to these people. Uh, invite them to your church. Talk to these people. If you go to the Ann Campaign's either website or you go to our, our Twitter, you'll see that we really uh, try to promote some of these folks. Another person is Lisa Fields with the Jude 3 Project. There are so many Christians up and coming who are serious. They're, they're faithful uh, to scripture. They have serious doctrine and good theology, but they understand, and they also understand the importance of social justice and social concern. And they brighten my day all the time. Yeah. Amen. Well, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the church politics podcast. Uh, hope y'all are getting your turkeys bought 
your stuffing prepared. We have another week before Thanksgiving, but I'm already planning. I'm already uh, getting my act together. Uh, Thanksgiving is at our house this week. So next week uh, we'll be recording the, uh, the podcast probably from, from, from the kitchen because <laughs> I'll That's be right. cooking already. Uh, but uh, ha- have a good week, folks. We'll talk to you. Y'all uh, take care. Soon. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.